I'm Jack Ruston. Welcome to the Ruston's Boneyard podcast. We're talking about real food, traditional cooking, nutrition, health and exercise. We're asking whether a more primal approach to life brings us further in line with the biology evolution has given us. We'll be exploring some of these topics with expert guests from the worlds of clinical practice and research. I'm not qualified to give any sort of medical or dietary advice, and nothing in this material should be considered as such. The opinions expressed here are for the purposes of discussion only. Please consult a qualified medical professional before undertaking changes to your diet. And now, on with the show. Richard Hosseini is a former strength and conditioning coach with 16 years of experience working with Olympic athletes, both here in the UK and for the Chinese Olympic Committee. He has been an integral part of these teams, achieving success at the highest level. Moving on from that world, Richard has identified the principles and practices that proved so effective in professional sport and developed a unique seven-step method that allows us to make groundbreaking changes in our own lives. Whether it be leadership in the corporate world, relationships at home or at work, or some other element of our own physical or mental journey, Richard's freedom of being process can unlock our full potential, and he's here to tell us about it. Rich, thanks for being here. Thank you for having this chat. Well, this is really great. I've been anxious to talk to you. Um, so, look, first of all, just briefly, what's it all about? Is, is, this, is this leadership? Is it well-being? Is it self-improvement? What, what are we talking about here? Ultimately, it's it's all of that. It's all of that. So, I mean, self-improvement, you know, performance or the outputs that we have in the world all come from our inner world. So that's kind of very clear message that I've learned over the years. And so, you know, so much is improve your performance, improve your productivity, improve this, improve that. But until we start to get clarity with inside, that, that is stunted, though that's limited to what we can achieve in my perspective anyway from from what i've learned in my own life as well as working with um the environments i've been in are you talking about um sort of beliefs that people hold you know attitudes um or is it expand a little bit yeah like i mean you know i guess the, the, the seven step process is a kind of a way of getting to understand ourselves and our reality and how we interact with that i mean i guess if i've reverse and kind of go back where did it come from you know originally when I qualified um, as a performance coach you know I was very naive in my understanding of human dynamics and you know well my, my mindset at the very beginning was like well the human body is just a machine you just tell it what to do and it'll do it and of course how wrong was I and also no matter how talented someone is you know in an athletic world or any environment but my background in the athletic world you're still working with human beings and it's all, it doesn't matter what I know, what I knew then or what I know now, it's that relationship, the human connection, that human relationship. And I guess over my career, that's one of the things that I really became naturally to me, to build relationships and to build connections to people to ultimately so they could trust me. You know, uh, one of my areas that I always used to work on, to work on was my my technical knowledge. I always, that was my perception. I always felt I didn't know enough or I didn't, I could dive deeper into the science and apply, you know, whatever scientific principles to help someone develop. But really that is irrelevant until that person's bought into you. And they ultimately, 
what I found, you know, and I know many people will say the same. Until someone trusts you, until someone understands it in plain English, simple English, it doesn't matter what I know, they won't buy into it. And, you know, and, it, and it's it's that re working with the person, whoever they are, versus, well, I'm the scientist, this is what I know, so this is what you need to follow me to do, mm. you know. And that, that, that meeting of minds, that meeting of people to then develop something together. And, and so... Okay, so, um, <laughs> all right, th that's in the context of, a, of, of you know, the, the performance of an Olympic athlete, but how, how does this relate to people now in their everyday lives? You know, who are your, who are your clients today for this process and, how, and what, do they, what do they need from you? Obviously, they need to, to build this trust with you as well in order to in in order to, to sort of trust this process and 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 move on from whatever's blocking them if you like um so who who are these people what kind of people are they typically they're impact driven professionals who are lost lost with direction lost with self-doubt that negative internal chatter they may be very successful yet still there's that feeling within them that something there's more or unfulfilled or this is not quite right. And I help them become clear so they become effective, more impactful in their life and be of better service. You know, that was one of the questions that was with me for most of my career, like this inner, it's just not quite right, something else. So then I would put my attention into a new job or a new relationship or a new this or a new that. Mm. Despite, you know, on the surface, don't get me wrong, I had an amazing career. I, I loved my career and I, the places I traveled to, the people I worked with and the, the competitions and Olympics. And yet there was still that sense of the perception of success on the outside. People were looking and go, wow, yeah, you've, you've do this. Wow, that's amazing. But there was this sense of lost within me for such a long, for most of my life of, well, this just doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it feel right? What's going on? Oh, it must be... It must be, you know, okay, I can find it in this job. I can find it here, find it there, whatever. But it, it never did ultimately. And so the process I now bring through into the, the impact driven professionals is is getting clear. Well, what is underneath that? What What is driving that sense of whether it's unfulfillment or that sense of feeling lost? Because on the surface, there's success potentially. But why else? Why is there no satisfaction? Why? What else is going on underneath that? And it, you know, it crosses over into exactly, I think you said self-development, self-improvement, getting to know oneself, understanding who am I doing this for? You know, what am I doing it for versus, or what do I want to be versus who do I want to be? Do you think that, do you think that maybe some of the roles that, that we're adopting don't don't speak to uh, the kind of primal requirements that we have as a, as a sort of animal so like. so much do you think you think maybe people you know people are going to an office to learn how to you know not to learn to to make money trading futures or whatever they're doing but there's a big part of them that wants to you know chop wood and carry water for sure i think there's there's can only say what might from my experience but just a lack of connection there's this there's this striving achieving you know so many people are striving to to achieve something in their life to make their life a success to progress yet the again from my experience that 
that achieving, that reaching, that trying to get somewhere else is because right now is so uncomfortable. That present moment where someone is right now is so uncomfortable okay. that they feel like. And so I think connecting back to, you know, the long hours, maybe someone's earning a great salary. Maybe they've got their wonderful house and their wonderful family. Yeah. Yet if they're not with their family or if yeah. there's not that connection, then, then there's a core human need that's not being met. And so who, you know, what, is, what are these stories exactly? You, know, you said, what are the stories that we're living by? Whose are they? Are they ours? Are they cultures? Are they our families? Mm. Are they? And so how, how do we get clarity on that? You know, D did you, did you feel like a fraud? Yes. So much, so much, so much. I, you know, I remember finishing my master's and the, the naive assumption thing, well, once I've done that, I'll know it. Finish my master's. Well, I don't yeah. know anything. I've got all the tools, but I have no idea how to apply them. And then yeah. you get experience still you know even my last job thinking well i i could be doing this better how this constant questioning and I, I think i'm not unique in that but i think that's one quality i've gained from you know elite performance is asking the right questions there's so many methodologies and principles but the questions help unlock kind of the right direction in a way and it's you know it's an art of doing that but it's it's uh it's not a cookie cutter type thing you have to who is the, what is the sport? Who is the person in front of you? What's the history? What are the aims of everyone here in the, in the team? And so, mm. yeah, exactly that. Like the, um, a fraud was a common, common feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, I bet athletes, I mean, athletes must feel like that. They must think, oh God, you know, that this is the time I'm going to go out on the track and I'm going to run and everyone's going to be 10 meters ahead of me. And they're all going to realize that basically I've just been somehow just get, scraping through all this time and, looking like i was quite good but actually i'm i'm shit <laughs> there's there's well, i suppose some of them are, are overconfident in the other in another yeah way yeah there's a i mean you know the best certainly believe in themselves there's there's no there's no there is doubt there's a natural doubt but they, they believe in themselves fully and i think the different differentiation between the people who succeed on the world level and the people who not don't quite there are multiple factors to it, but f just from what I saw, the people who succeed trust the process. They're doing the process being what can they control? What have they got control over versus other people worry about, okay, what about the other people are doing? What if the, you know, the things that they can't control take yeah. up too much, too much attention versus trust the process and then always review the process, but trust the process. Okay. And and you think that applies here to your method? You 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 can you can, you've developed a process here which people can follow, and if they if they just focus on the steps and and, and achieve those steps, then this is gonna this is gonna flow through to. Yes, um, I would say that in terms of achieving the steps, there's, I don't think it's about achieving the steps. I think it's you know it's a seven step process, and they unlock it's the it's the subtle layers of awareness of how you are in the world versus the expectations of the world you know i the first step would be how do you make sense so how do you make sense being most often than not generally speaking people are and this is generally speaking people are stuck in their heads so stuck behind their eyes and they disconnect from their body completely and so what that does is losing out on so much sensory information and just on the you know how emotions are made if you've not heard of lisa feldman barrett really worth checking her out on that book but the idea that at our core metabolic being we're only ever in four levels of perception i suppose so we're the pleasant unpleasant aroused or calm and so 
whatever we are, if we're not aware of that, our brains make sense of that internal sensation. And so if we're not even picking up on that, we are acting in a certain way. We're making sense of the world without knowledge of how we're feeling within us. And I think linking what made me aware of that to start with were, you know, worked with one of athletes, but mainly acrobatic athletes in my career. And they are unique in the sense of, of course, they want to win and they're driven and all that kind of stuff. On the surface, they look very reckless. Certainly action sport, you know, the Red Bull type of guys and girls, but they're very methodical and they they are three unique things about them the first one really is that they are highly aware of their their i guess spidey sense their intuition because if they're not and they're too headstrong and they go for something there's a at the very least there's a high chance of getting yeah, serious, yeah. serious die, injured. Aren't they? Yeah. yeah or die and you know so there have been famous people who have died mm. famous high profile um, action sport athletes and so they're in tune with this with themselves and with the surroundings, you know, snow, snow sport athletes, for example, they have to be able to read the conditions and the weather conditions and know, is it safe to go, how to trust that, what's their process of understanding that. Mm -hmm. And a high profile case recently, or case or a high profile example of this was Simone Biles in the Olympic Games, yeah. um, who, you know, one of the greatest gymnasts of all time pulled herself pulled herself from the competition because she, it she did, wasn't right. She lost, she, her description was lost in the air. And so, gymnastic athlete or a acrobatic athlete when they say lost in the air they can't they just don't know where they are on the, in in space and so they lose their landing they, they don't know where they're going to land yeah. which again can cause serious injury yeah, yeah and so connecting to that that and 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 so you and so this applies to everybody does it you know having having a kind of fundamental understanding of your of your of your of your physical body where you are in in the world this is a is this what you're talking about here in this in, ter in terms of how we tackle this step what kind of things are we doing are we doing sort of breath work and movement and w what does it look like exactly that you know we are human beings and we are animals we have a nervous system we are physiology and so much of that that has nothing to do with performance it has everything to do with just being human and so can we regulate our neurophysiology there are so many different ways of doing that our brains and our hearts and our vagus nerve connects all of that and goes from yeah. a brain heart root and so if we're not even aware of that we have no idea how to manage that and manage our state and you mentioned breath work is one one very effective tool cold water uh, singing humming you know just one three couple of simple ways of how to regulate your vagus tone and so if we can begin rather than thinking I, I, mindset is very, of course, it's really important and it's, it's one of the things I focus on. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much we tell ourselves, I want to feel like this, I want to be like this. If our body doesn't line up to that, we're never going to be that because our, our body's always going to be in a state of stress or a, an arousal state. So we can, so so we're talking about controlling our parasympathetic and sympathetic responses effectively. This kind of thing is that. Is, is yeah, state management in the sense of it's not bad to be in an arousal state. And then we don't always want to be in a parasympathetic state because we need we need arousal, we need to be focused, we need that's how we get things done. Okay. But it's the the chronic, you know, fibrillation of stress where our respiration is poor, we're in yeah. a poor position, yeah. we're eating poor foods, we're not getting enough movement, we're nice. you know, all this kind of knock on effect, we're not hydrated, yeah. not getting enough sleep, over caffeinated. It's having physiological changes. Yeah. 
Well, this is going to be very familiar to, to a lot of the people that that um, that follow me. You know, we're, it, it's it's a lot about the sleep, the nutrition, the movement. Um, you know, the the stress control. So so step one effectively is that we we have to get control of our physiology of our body. We need to we need to manage that process before we can move forward. Manage it and understand it in the sense yeah. of our, all the other senses that. Um, our interoceptive level and our umwelt. So our umwelt is simply, that's a German word for the level of sense that we perceive. Um, Daniel, Daniel Spiegelman, I think it is, he kind of one of the leaders in this field, understanding like, you know, for example, a bat communicates or navigates the world through sound wave. And there's all this base level of reality that each animal creature tunes into. And yet, if we're if we just take what we experience as hundred percent true, then we're missing out on what else may be there. And so, for example, uh, Heart Math Institute in America they study the heart for twenty five years or so, and so our hearts give off an electromagnetic wave, a very objectively measurable electromagnetic wave. That wave, when we're feeling feelings such as um, fear or anger, then that wave is incoherent. And so when we're feeling like feelings of love or appreciation or gratitude, that wave is coherent. And so you think that just around 17% of our communication is verbal, the rest is resonance. So our body language, our coherence and all mm. that kind of stuff. If we're unaware of that, we may go into a situation, a difficult conversation or a relationship or a meeting at work or whatever it is, thinking that all we say is all that matters and it doesn't at all. It's all this other stuff that we're carrying with us that can influence, mm. help us influence how we want to influence or how to have the effect we want or how to even just kind of be the grounding space, you know, where the people listening have kind of, you've walked into a room and, and that sense of that person that's very grounding, that's, there's a calming, yes. you know, especially in leadership roles, like a leader is not telling people what to do. It's about holding the space and allowing the right people to, to do their job, to do their to do what they're trained to do, to do what they're skilled yeah, to. And so yeah. can you hold that space and holding? And I guess people don't, people don't know why they feel uncomfortable around certain people, there but they do. And it's like that thing people say, oh, well, he just makes me feel uncomfortable because he seems so uncomfortable and nobody can put their finger necessarily mm. on why that is. But actually what you're saying is that there's lots of very tangible things. And once we learn to tune into those things, yeah. then we can kind of say, well, actually, you know, because of my, because of the way I'm feeling, because of the way I'm conveying myself, the way I'm, 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 uh, you know, presenting physically, mm. other people are, are uncomfortable. They're unsure about me. They can mm. feel my, my, my bad voodoo. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. And, you know, science is just giving some objective uh, data surrounding this where yeah. you know an area that i found fascinating is indigenous cultures and you know they this is how they live their life they're in nature most of the time coming back to what you said about reconnecting back to a simple way of being and you know the cavemen or however you want to call it but that that sense of those senses when we're in nature they we are they're allowed to come out they're allowed to yeah. but we most of us are stuck in front of computer most of the day we're deconnected yep. de de deconditioned kind of zoo animals in a way we're yeah, just yeah. you know on this on this chain of just keep going and going and going yes all right so uh, take us forward um step two how do you show up so how do you show up and the, the assumption being that you know we are as credible as we think we are we're as reliable as we think we are we're as empathetic as we think we are when in truth that differs between different relationships and you know how do we ever know that how do we ever have a 
an honest conversation with the people at work. Maybe we don't because there's a fair, well, if I have that, you know, that might be uncomfortable. If I'm, if I show my weaknesses or if I, if someone realizes mm. that I'm not as credible as I say I am, then maybe I'll lose my job. All this hidden stuff that you can, that are just holding us back. And then intimately, you know, whether that's our partners or our family or our children or friends, you know, do we want to rock the boat? Do we, the perception of if we bring this up, is this going to be uncomfortable? You know, and if it is uncomfortable, then the default would be, well, that's bad rather than seeing it as our growth for development, you know, and, and kind of, we all, we all have our, our lenses of life and how we think we are. And it's just a, a powerful process to go through to more than anything. I think the one takeaway from that is just you, you're opening, you're giving the olive branch to create stronger relationships because if you're vulnerable enough to be able to open up and say, look, this is, I want to, I want to work on myself here. I want to, you know, work on the areas that, that other people, I want to know how other people perceive me and then I want to be able to work on them. That is only a good thing. That's only, certainly my experience, it's the people who reject that are few and far between. And if they do reject that, they're either not worth being in a relationship with, they're not worth you know, investing your time in, because if they're not open mm. to that and you're actively seeking, then it's just, uh, it's just, it allows you to see who, can, who you can trust and who you can't. Um, so it's a sort of, you're talking about a kind of authenticity, aren't you? You're yeah. talking about being able to drop some of the kind of veneer Mm -hmm. that perhaps we have uh, as individuals we you know we're kind of like this is the way i want to be perceived this is my this is my instagram filter that i carry there with you me go. everywhere exactly and I, and that I, and, I, and, I, and i paste it up exactly that so so uh yeah i mean i can envisage how you you might have exercises that people take forward into their lives to try to to maybe make themselves more vulnerable and become stronger in that way and their relationships stronger by shedding some of that mm. move move on what comes next how do we communicate how do we communicate you know so much miscommunication is based on assumptions and how do you get clear on that uh you know where we get our data from data being information about someone or something or some situation that's happened and then we make assumptions that form our beliefs or assumptions that form conclusions that form beliefs and then drive our actions and so you know i guess this uh, uh, a silly example i like to use is the the text message the whatsapp text message you've sent that message the double arrows come up they've gone blue they've seen it why have they returned it it's why they... such a good example <laughs> And so the data you have in that situation is, well, they've received my message and they've read my message. That's the accurate information yeah. that we have. However, the mind would like to make up a story about it. And yeah. so now well, they're blanking, they're me. blanking me. They think they don't like me. They don't like what I've said, or they're just rude. They haven't got back to me. Why haven't they got back to me? Yeah. It's 10 o'clock at night. Why haven't they not texting me? What, what else? Me. There you go. Exactly. What that. Are they doing? And so, and so to understand that process of communication and, and not just that, you know, the old, old school of communication, the hierarchical communication would be, well, the boss or the manager or the alpha would say, well, this is how it, I think, and this is how it's got to be. And then maybe a bit more modern twist on that would be, okay, well, what's your reality versus my reality? What's, I want to hear your story and I want to hear my story. And the trouble with that is one, it's always gonna be 50, 50. And two, most of the time we're probably waiting for someone to respond rather than listening to actually understand their point of view. And so there might be uh, a suggestion of another way of doing it is, okay, well, there's your reality. This is my reality. There's a piece of reality that 
none of us can see or aware of at the moment that we know exists, what can we co-create in this area? And so I, I guess an example in sport would be, I might give an example of my life as well, but I mean, sport, where I saw this work so well was um, in team sports, you know, you see the best teams win, not because they've got the best stars, but because of how they gel together. Again, there are multiple factors to that, but the understanding that everything's on the table, there's a higher purpose in the sense of they want to win their gold or whatever it is. And so the best teams can be all in on that. And so it's not that they all get on really, really well necessarily, but there's an openness to be able to share disagreements and it's everyone has a right to be heard. There's no wrong answer if someone can mm. say no. And I think, you know, no is a unique thing because no is perceived as a negative most of the time, generally speaking, of course, mm. rather than it's a, it's a legitimate answer. No is a legitimate answer. And, and so to have all the voices heard in an inclusive environment, creates you know bonds and trust and and uh you know an environment that nurtures um we have to be able to do that don't we because mm. it, i mean so often you see people i mean this is just one of the most common things about how people's lives go wrong is when they can't set boundaries for for um they can't set boundaries for what they're prepared to commit to so mm. somebody will come along and say oh can you um listen i'm moving house on thursday and the uh removal guy's not coming can you come and help me move oh yeah yeah no of course i will well you're just committing to a to yeah. like a two-day process of of unbelievable you know physical hardship where you've also got full-time work and childcare yeah. that you've got to do so you're basically committing to something that you can't do and i and i guess people do this in work as well don't they they take on more and more and you know they're never prepared to set a boundary that says look this is this is what i'm prepared to to do here this is what i can do to a high quality and then things begin to spiral and they and they and this person then ends up underperforming feeling attacked but but still not being able to sort of assert themselves. Mm. I mean, this this is jumping into stage five, what don't you want? Ah. But it's, it's exactly this topic. And so the reason we don't say no are threefold, the, the triple A trap. So we either avoid, so we procrastinate and put things off to the last yeah. minute. I we, do that. Me too. So mm. that's my, my, well, no, my default is um, accommodate. So accommodate. Pe people please. We're doing ah. things to get people to like us. So there's a void uh, yeah avoid put it off the last minute accommodate people pleasing and then the final one once our backs against the wall we're helping that person out we're trying to be a genuine thing but we're stressed because we're now behind on work yeah. we've got to pick our kids we attack we lash out we're we kind of all down to our decision of not being truthful with ourselves what can i commit to what do i want yep. to commit to and, and also what have i the energy to commit to yeah and so yeah that that kind of we jumped into what don't you want but they i mean like i said they're not they're not clear. That's it. They all merge they're, they're, into other, yeah, but, uh, but there's a, yeah. Well, I suppose they're cascading against this sort of, um, what's the word? They're kind of interacting with each other. A lot of those, those, mm. those behaviors, aren't they? Mm. Um, so, so looking back stage four was what do you want? So where does that fit between those two things? So how to only how to communicate and then what do you want then what do you want in the sense of if you know the the classic drama of human beings human dynamic dynamics the drama triangle of the victim the persecutor and the rescuer you know the three places of drama that plays out in all movies and in politics and on you know on national and international levels on 
individuals can play all three roles in the sense of, you know, the victim, I've been hard done by poor me. The rescuer is that person. Oh, no, I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll say, and then the persecutor mm. is the blamer. And so we can flip between all three ourselves or we can inhabit a role. And we all, we'll flip between roles all the time. But a classic one, playing it with yourself, you know, oh, I've had such a hard day. Poor me. I can't believe it. I'm going to have a glass. I'm going to have a bottle of wine. Okay. And you have a bottle of wine because you deserve it because I've worked really hard. And then the next day, you, in the morning, you wake up the hangover and you think, you shouldn't have done it. Why did you do it? Why are you just that negative persecuting voice? You've done that three nights in a row now. What's the point of doing it? Why are you such a loser? And so that's the example of this dynamic playing out in an individual level. It can also mm. be, you know, we're talking about um, accommodating. The rescuer, you know, the rescuer. Have you ever been, when you're, you're that ear for someone to lean on yet that person is always talking about the same problem there's no action taken they'll come back to you every time they'll come to you they'll talk to you all the time and they won't really ask much about you but they're saying the same problem and maybe a different light okay and you can see you know it's not that you don't want to be there for someone but you're just seeing there's repeating the same thing and and you're accommodating you're being the rescuer you're trying to solve someone else's problem rather than saying well actually you know this is what i see and and it takes so you're enabling, enabling by enabling yeah. them enabling, to yeah. carry on moaning about the same thing that they're not taking action on. You are painting yourself into your role and mm. them into their role. And that's never going to change until you say, well, actually, you know what? We sort of had this conversation and until you stop this pattern of behavior, then there's not really a lot more I can do. There you go. Yeah. And, okay. you know, a rescuer keeps a victim, you know, like as long as, long as someone's trying to rescue someone, the they'll always stay the victim yeah it's no good being a lifeguard if nobody's mm. drowning mm, exactly yeah. and you know there's a difference between you know there i'm not talking about um people who have been through serious life events you know they're yeah, kind okay. of bad things have been done to good people yeah, i'm talking about yeah i'm, I'm yeah. but and you know not to say that's uh there's a difference between that and holding a place of depowerment um for the reason you know an individual but we can shift it out of that like making the shift into a place of empowerment so rather than the victim can we be the creator of our own world okay this is this sucks this has happened to me okay well what what can i do what do i want from this how can i shift out of this place the rescuer would be more like a coach you know asking the right questions to prompt someone okay. to move forwards and then the challenger would be to Sometimes you have to call it how it is, but then say, look, listen, okay, you know, how can you, a challenger, the difference between a challenger and a persecutor, a persecutor is pushing someone down, a challenger is lifting someone up. Okay. Sometimes difficult conversations need to be had and, and straight truths need to be told and also to help someone rise from that. So there, that's kind of the subtleties of, you know, that's, I mean, that's coaching 101, like Olympic sport or mm -hmm. anyone you lead. How can you get the best out of someone? And someone sometimes you need tough talk to motivate, to yeah. maybe motivate, or maybe just as you know, get the truth out on the table, yeah. and then say, right, let's let's work together. How can we do this? And sometimes it's a duvet day. There you go. And sometimes they've cried. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So what you're basically saying is that if we have this understanding, we can uh, just manipulate everybody around us into doing what we want. Exactly that. Yeah. And stop <laughs> kind of bogging the whole situation down with their own boring shit. Mm -hmm. There you go. Exactly. I and, like it. You know, I, like, I make it sound like it's, uh, you know, quickly talking about it. It's, it's moments to learn, lifetime to master all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, and at times it's, you have to honor it, honor how you feel. It's, this is crap, whatever, you know, if it's a situation, yeah. but, and then what do you want? 
you know. But you know, this is so interesting because because one question I had that I was going to ask you sort of I was kind of thinking about you know you know for people won't know listening to this, but we're friends and and one of the one of the kind of things I I was have in my mind about you is this kind of zen sort of energy that you that you bring um you know that you bring to a room and and what a great parent you are for example to your to your daughter and i and i was going to ask you how does how does what you've learned apply to parenting and i and i and i guess you kind of answered that because because when we parent we manipulate our kids don't we that's what we do we 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 all do things you know any parent will say the same stuff i'll know what you want to do (laughs) tell them this and then this will happen and and i guess what you're talking about is perhaps doing that a little bit more with all of our relationships is deciding what we what we need something to be or what's best for everybody i mean perhaps that's presumptuous but i mean i guess we're always trying to do what we think is best in any given situation yeah or another way i like to look at it is do i want to be effective in this situation or right so as a parent you know again Generally speaking, of course, like, you know, a three-year-old, I have a good idea of what's safe, what's right, how to do how to do something. Mm. But I'm not being effective if I say to her, you don't do it like that, you do it like this. Because away from safety, as long as safety is all taken care of to, you know, to a degree, then I don't mean overprotecting. I mean, like, you know, if she, my daughter has to fall, she has to learn how to fall, she has to learn how to pick herself up. Um, I'm talking about, you know, m- maybe she'll achieve the same the result but she'll go about it in a different way and if i'm telling her how my way is all the time she's not going to learn that i don't believe she'll learn how to figure things out more creatively on her own okay the you know and again that's the same with in sport you know they're certain drills trying to teach someone uh, to maybe jump higher for example there's certain prompts or cues you can give someone to okay well the outcome is this uh, the external prompts, in, external cues, internal cues. And so, you know, sometimes it's relevant to just give an external cue. Okay, get, touch your head onto that. How are you going to do that? How are you going to get higher? You know, encouraging someone to, f- to play with their movement or play with their situation or play mm-hmm. with what they're doing to cr- be creative in how they how okay. they go. Yeah, I guess, it's, I guess it's difficult when we start to compare um, coaching Olympic uh, Olympians to to parenting on the basis that you know I, I'm sure you and I are, are probably kind of in, in agreement on the issue that that uh, the, the kind of nth degree of pushing mm. kids to to perform to to achieve 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 but of course with an Olympic athlete I mean that is kind of what they're there to do you can't you can't say don't don't yeah. worry about winning I know. it's like you know this kind of thing of we're all going to have a race and nobody's going to win well actually no (laughs) that giant guy there is going to win so we need to um we need to look at that um so 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 stage six step six what yeah step six and step seven they kind of merge in together but what are what myths are you living you know the idea of um i mean the myths are cultural or family we kind of touched on that or personal you know for me my myth was that I need to be as I need to have a certain amount of physicality level or maybe a more than some of the athletes I was coaching, which is insane. You know, like that it was such an unhealthy yeah. practice for me. And the idea of the myths of I, if I don't lift this much weight, X mate, that I've decided in my head, then I'm a failure or I'm not up to my job. Yeah. When if you scan back, like weight is just a construct. It's a human construct, my construct of what I think is strong or what i think mm-hmm. is this or that 
And so why am I living like that? Why mm. was I why was I breaking my body like that? Why was I yeah. you know, even the role I had, like my role as a performance coach, I lost my mum to cancer. And, you know, from that moment, one seeing I saw my father die pass away as well, but I see my mum at that time in my life when I was thirty six, it was just like a wake up call. Wow, I'm gonna die one day. What does that mean? And then all this spiral of questioning and the idea, well, what kind of life am I living? Why do I why do I need to go back into sport if I don't want to be there? And it was all this protection of identity of that I'd completely put on myself, you know, that if I don't do that job, who am I? What what am I if I if I'm not working Olympic athletes? And kind of the veneer that you said of, you know, there'd be situations where I'd say, Oh, I do this, I work with this team or whatever, and it would be all of a sudden the distraction would be taken away from me into what I did. And so I never really had to divulge anything personal about me because the veneer was protecting me from having to go into that. And so moving out of that was pretty terrifying for me because it's like, well, who am I if I don't do that? What, what's, what is success then? Because to me, I always, it's just and a part of the reason this lost feeling was I was constantly striving and you achieve something and then you then what? And then you achieve something, and then what? And then achieve something, and then what? Yeah. And I think that's why in so many athletes suffer from uh, mental health conditions because it's this perpetual state of now is not enough. Or yeah. you know, the I remember I forget who it was. I think maybe Michael Phelps describing that moment of getting the gold medal over his neck, and it's like, oh wow, this is it. And then they step off the podium. Yeah, it's done. And then what? Well, you're not. You got to prove it again next time. You yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? This. This idea that we, um, you know, we're, we're, we're always, I, I feel like, you know, when, you know, we get to our age, you know, sort of mid forties or whatever we are now. And we, we feel like we're still in this mindset of saying, oh yeah, but when this happens, mm. when, when I, when I get, when, when I, when I get to this point, when I get to this point, this will all be better. And all of a sudden everything will come into focus. But the reality is that these are the days of our lives right yes. now, you know, <laughs> Yes. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the name of the <laughs> sick, whatever that thing was. <laughs> but these are the days of our lives. We are living them, and what do they look like? Yeah. You know, what do we want them to look like? How do we reframe this? Um, it seems to me, you know, from my from from our personal relationship, that that your that the death of your mother was a huge catalyst for you, for you understanding um, that 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 things weren't just a physical it mm. there was a whole kind of metaphysical you know you you seem to undergo this spiritual shift and as you say it wasn't always about oh well i have to be able to clean and jerk 100 kilos or i'm not or i'm not worthy anymore i'm yeah. not my set point <laughs> is broken you know and you 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 seem to me to become to, to become tuned into all of these other aspects of what actually makes a life what actually makes a person happy what are we what is the point of being mm. Mm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, everyone's, everyone is at their point in life right now, wherever they are. And, and, but for me, like, exactly that, the metaphysical, the mystery of life, like, the stars, what is going on here? Like, certainly seeing, and this is just my experience, seeing my mother die, my, my dad die as well. And, uh, like, something happens to the body, of course, that person dies, but it's this, all of a sudden this the visceral nature of what is going on here and then and then the inquisition of like well i'm gonna die what does that mean and you know my um, 
happy to share like my exploration of psychedelics and breath work and changing my state, changing states. You know, what those states offer me or what have offered me, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not taking them as objective, 100% truth, yet they also show me like, what what's that? Like there's a different experience to be had. And I think that's the term experience. And this human experience, I think we're caught up in, or I've been, I've been caught up in driving and achieving in this, but the experience is to experience what we notice. What do we notice? For me anyway, now I think, you know, I could be in the park with my daughter and I'm not do my, I'm purposely practiced not to check my phone. I'm with her. I'm focused with her. I'm noticing the breeze. I'm noticing the, you know, the sun or the stars if I'm out. And that's just my journey and my experience. And, but I think where I've got to with it is that there, the, what fascinated me actually was, was reading, you know, I wanted to understand death. I, it was like, well, I have no reference here. I was pushed away from me as far as possible. And then the inevitable happens in the worst way that I could have wanted, you know, my mum, or I say that, in fact, it was probably a, a blessing because my mum passed away quite quickly. Yeah. So I, I started to read, I started to kind of draw myself into certain traditions and certain books I'd heard about. And one in particular, like the, um, the Tibetan book of living and dying. And I, kind of my first realization that a whole culture, a whole culture of people devote their whole life to the moment of death. So their life is about freeing themselves from attachments. They're ready to the practice of dying to the moment. And that in a real life situation, that could be like our minds have things planned, how we want them to go. And all of a sudden yeah. life gets them and it stops. And so the suffering comes from the attachment we have to that expectation. If we can practice letting go to it, it's okay. It's okay. It's, and I don't mean just in the mind, like feeling it as well. The body can soften in that. Then we come out of our suffering because we are accepting what is. And so that moment of, of yeah, of, of people, whole, like I say, whole cultures prepare themselves for that moment of death. Yet I had no awareness. I didn't even want to think about it, let alone let it in. And, and I first found that fascinating. And, and so the more I read, the more I read, the more I practice and, Again, like meditation is, or breath work, breath work is a, is a way of getting into a different state. Meditation of just, and I, the way I describe meditation now to me is just about being aware of what's going on. What moods do I feel? Why do I feel angry? What's going on with my body? That's interesting. Mm. And, not, and trying to see it from a place of perspective rather than, oh, irritated sitting here right now. I don't want to be sitting here. I don't want to be meditating right now. I don't want to do this and do that. Mm. Just seeing it like, that's interesting. Why am I doing that? Can I soften to the moment? And I think that's, that's where I'm at it all. Like there's so much going on. We're driven to be focused externally at stuff rather than directing our awareness inwards. And I, I mean, where are we now? October 21, you know, I think on such a large scale, mo many people have been forced to either look at that or it's made people feel even worse. And, you know, the COVID and the change of life and the, cha the, the requirements to look at life. And I think, you know, the way I see this now anyway is that, and I take this from indigenous cultures, the, the idea that we're here to live a life and to live our life as full as possible. And as long as, however that long it is, but not at, not at any one time are we immune from death? Are we immune from, you know, we, we, we have a, again, the culture says, well, we live, we get our job and we work and mm. get happy, we retire and then we can enjoy our retirement and we die 
70, 80, 90, whatever it is. But in fact, the reality is that who knows what happens and yeah. and can we, I think you're saying, can we be more in the moment all the time is now? Like, you know, these are the times of our lives right now. This is the moment, yeah. yeah We're living is, it. Yeah. And so if someone, yeah. I know. Our, our reality is is incredibly tinted, isn't it? I mean, you hear all these stories about you know people who there was one there was one interesting uh, one. This guy this guy gets a, a nail uh, on a building site. He got a, a nail driven through his boots, and he's in terrible terrible pain. He's uh, screaming in pain, and they get him to the hospital, and they kind of unpick it all very carefully with things, and you know, and it turns out that it didn't actually go into his foot. Huh. He was experiencing this intense pain because of what he saw and and you know on another example we might take uh, you know somebody with body dysmorphia who looks at themselves in a mirror and sees this fat person when in fact they're emaciated or we might take the the example of somebody that that believes that they're um that believes that they're worthless in some way and whatever so a lot of what you're talking about a lot of this is about this disconnection about learning to disconnect maybe what we believe to be true thoughts which could be quite misguided mm. because our consciousness actually i mean obviously there are some things you know if i stab you with a pin you know, yes it's gonna it's going to smart a little bit <laughs> and we can't you know we can't sort of ignore that but at the same time we we have to accept that we may be creating a, a reality in our minds which is actually one that doesn't necessarily have to exist to say it doesn't exist is is a fallacy because it does exist it clearly exists in our mind if 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 nowhere mm. else but we can reframe it we can yeah mm. i always think that that scene in the matrix where um i forget his name but he's having that steak and he's saying oh ignorance is bliss i know this is like he's enjoying the flavors of the steak but it's it's just sensory information yes. it's just you know that, for a reason that's always stayed with me and exactly that like our oh, our experience of the world and you know and, and you know i mentioned psychedelics like psychedelics are one way there's breath work there's music concert there's meditation there's, there's so many avenues you know tantra sexual practice there's so many different avenues yeah. of people are achieving higher states of awareness so the the tool is just a in a way an elevator but the interesting point that i take from that is uh you know this experience can be had from different levels you know music yeah. your area is music and i know i don't know anything but i the area of research looking at music and changing brain waves and mm -hmm. kind of you tell me on this you'll be better to say on this but the idea of you know the reason the top dj the top djs is they know how to manipulate that that state that people are in mm. and with you know when they drop the beat or whatever they do like there's a there's a, an art in that of yeah. of using the the right beats per minute and the whatever it is the landscape on top of it yeah um yeah uh, yeah um let me ask you a couple of a couple of questions so what does strength mean to me now strength i know what it doesn't mean it doesn't mean weight on a bar yeah um strength means i think strength means to me like thank god for that yeah we're only, going, <laughs> we're only going backwards in that um strength means the ability to look at yourself with honesty i think okay um, okay um 
what what does what does a day of um what, what does a day of kind of self-care practice look like for you what do you what do you do on a daily basis to, to sort of tune into your body and there's so much to do but I, I kind of I I boil it down to like one hour. I don't mean one consistent hour, but what's the minimum I can do of up to an hour of practice a day? And so that's broken down into little pieces. Yeah. I can tell you what I actually do. But if I've got a busy day, then I know that. So for me, my non-negotiables are: I wake up, Anna and I, I wake up around half five. We get our meditation, visualization, breath work in half five to about half six. I'll then do twenty minutes of yoga. My like not doing a class like sometimes my eyes closed just feeling my body what feels nice then it's seven o'clock my daughter wakes up and that's it and then that's it school school, yeah. school run and then i go in the sea so cold water exposure and to me that cold water is not about the bravado of going in when the waves are crazy it's it's more like can i let go can i let go to the elements can i can i let go so when it's flat i'll lay on my back and i'll try and soften my body and so one the benefit of the cold water mm. um, i get a lot from it um and it and i just the the effect of that lasted me kind of the rest of the day and, and also yeah in nature and the, the connection with the sun that helps circadian rhythms yeah. to me it's like what what gives me energy anything that gives me energy whereas before you know i used to consider exercises oh i'm healthy but i would feel i wouldn't want to go to the gym but i still push myself like yeah. it was taking energy from me and then you feel drained afterwards yeah yeah and so, you kind of think oh look i'm all i've made myself all strong yeah. so that i can sit on the sofa just feeling pass exhausted. out yeah or do 50 or 60 miles on my bike and just Ooh. like i mean no i just i look about it now and i think that's crazy but i think self-care and anything gives you energy you know vi vitality to help mm -hmm. leave you energized and integrated so that of course that covers nutrition what you put into your body mm. what are you consuming media wise what you know, uh, are you, how hydrated are you? What, how's your sleep? I think sleep, I said I get up early in the morning, but I do that. We do that most days of the week, six days of the week. And it, we go to bed at pretty much the same time. We wake up at the same time. We don't need a long When do you go to bed? Uh, 10 ish between 10, 10 30 is late. Yeah. Um, but if 10 you're getting up at five thirty, Yeah. Mm. It gets borderline. Doesn't it? But with that meditation, it's giving me energy. It's the same. Anna, it's like, it's not, yeah, you're getting, you're getting so um, much from it. Yeah. What do they call that? There's just some form of rest like waking rest or something yeah there. like um yeah i mean if you're skilled enough you can get into delta theta brainwave activity okay. which just like deep sleep yeah which i actually heard i think it was joe dispenza dr joe dispenza was saying that you know we don't need seven eight hours sleep we need periods of delta theta brainwave activity okay that's that's the key part to sleep because you know if we're over caffeinated we're looking at screens before we go to bed and the sleep cycles maybe if someone's doing that right before they go to bed and they've had a late coffee they might miss one or maybe yeah. two deep sleep cycles and yes. so they've been asleep for three hours but they've missed two periods of delta wave activity yeah i'm missing them at the moment because <laughs> coco the puppy keeps wanting to go out in the garden in the middle of the night and because because my wife jess obviously <laughs> you know um had to do so much getting up in the night with lila when she was born i elected <laughs> stupidly to be the one in charge of putting coco out in the garden in the middle of the night and actually, it's interesting. What I've noticed is that when she wants to go out, if I put her out at, say, 8.30 and then I go to sleep, if she wants to go out before midnight and interrupts that first four-hour block, that fucks me. 
like then it's really hard to kind of get that deep rest it seems to be that first bit of the night mm. where all the valuable sleep is mm. i don't know if you find the same thing but then the rest of the night you're kind of like dozing on and off yeah i yeah i think yeah i think so i mean stella we're so lucky with stella but she every now and again she'll wake up a little bit in the night and it's yeah, if it's sort of three, four, it seems to be easier than yes. twelve one. Yeah, twelve one's bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, is there is there anything else about this um, about these seven steps that you want to share with us? Obviously, we're going to talk about where to find you, um, and and, and uh, you know, if anybody wants to come and have a look at it, you, you've got an amazing sort of slideshow thing that you sent me. Is that up there? Available? Yeah, just a uh, like some masterclass, whatever you want to call it. On um, yeah. it's just an, a free masterclass to kind of check it out and to give you an understanding of this on a deeper level to kind of have some takeaways so you can take away yeah. some of the ideas and tr and I think ultimately it's a clearing process. So it's not like you go through all seven stages and that's it. You it's a clearing process. So you know what's showing up for you now what that's how i use it the lens through okay well asking these questions what's showing up for me now what can i learn about myself and then you'll go through it and certainly in my life and anna's life we keep and then we'll go back not necessarily keep going around all seven steps exactly the same way but it's keep coming back keep going back like yeah, you know yeah. you're shedding you're shedding the layers of, a, of an onion you have to peel something back and then that goes and that's okay and then there's a new new state of being and then oh something else will come up and does this does this happen can people just sign up and, and begin to, to kind of work their way through the content or or do you run courses that happen in, in a specific period of time so there so application process and then we'll have a chat personally like um i'll chat with the people who are interested in going out and then you know assuming it's a mutual fit both ways then it can start at any time and they're just there's coaching sessions available so the, right. the course is is self-paced uh, the program is self-paced but then it's there's coaching sessions to kind of embed and and, and uh, embody um the principles really because i was doing it in, in block coaching sessions uh in terms of programs like eight-week programs or yes. ten-week programs but it, there's so there's so much so much richness to it that it just didn't warrant it yes. it more like that's the point of the coaching sessions to to allow someone to kind of integrate it in their own time because it it takes time sometimes to, yeah and i guess they can they can then linger on something that's yeah that's working mm. for them more yeah or you know and the power of the group as well the, the group coaching sessions is that you know people often come with different having different filters to see it through and it offers so much um richness because someone could be hearing someone else dis discuss it and they think well i didn't see it like that and it just it's just this perpetuating kind of growth process mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. don't have to say anything at all in the coaching sessions and just to listen to other people talking is is powerful and i mean i get a lot from it as well mm. where can we find it the conscious life collective.com um and you'll just see it on there like there, there's cues to, to sign up for the the master class you're going to sign up at any time and just to watch it and go through it and, you know spend the hour or so to go through it and just see if it resonates with you see you know there'll be things you can take away from it for sure and um and then if it's something you want to work on then 
then just book yourself. There's a process to go through to to book a call yeah. with me, and then go through it, and we can have we look forward to chatting. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming and being so open and honest and talking about these things. You know, some of it's quite kind of difficult subject matter, and it, it and it really does. It kind of certainly gets me thinking every time we have a conversation. You know, it gets me thinking on a on a slightly different level, and it can only be a good thing. Mm. Thanks for thank you taking the time. No, I love these conversations. You know, the more we can have them, I think. I think they're just they're enriching for me for sure. Yeah, me too. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Have a good day. And you. That's it for now. Come and find me on Instagram at Rustin's Boneyard and at www.rustinsboneyard.com. Keep cooking. <laughs>